Well, before we begin this morning, I want to uh, share with you a little bit to hopefully clarify some of the signs that you're seeing up around. You're seeing these signs up around the doors that say Camp Church, and I want to just give a little bit of kind of what this is. And what it is is uh, Paul and I were sitting around and lamenting that there was no church camp this year. Uh, If you didn't go to church camp, for many of us, it's a very informative part of what you did every summer. It was part of connecting with God and growing. Just lots of fun was had with it. Of course, VBS is similar. And so as we were talking about it, we thought, how fun would it be if we did a sermon series for four weeks, and we just kind of made it feel kind of campy. And so uh, we're going to have the first and the last service are going to be outside. So hopefully we can invite some of our uh, friends who maybe haven't, been, haven't felt comfortable coming in the building so we can include more people. Um, it's going to be fun. There's going to be t-shirts. We're going to, have, we're, we're going to try to make it special uh, to try to remind ourselves of the fun that we have together with Jesus in the summer. So that's to kind of help clarify. If you have any other questions, let me know. Um, But we're trying to hype this. We're really excited about it. Um, So that's what that is. To have an incredibly hard transition from the joy and fun of church camp, today we're going to talk about worry. (laughs) So so we're going to do that today. Uh, One of Jesus' most famous, I don't know, quotes, things he talks about, comes from this chapter in Luke uh, chapter 12 of Luke, and he says, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, drink, or worry about your body, what you will wear, for life uh, is more than food, and the body is more than clothes. This is a famous part of Jesus' teaching. I've, I've heard this preached uh, so, more times than I could count. I, I, I've heard it so many times. I've been given this advice many times by people. Uh, we, we use this on bumper stickers. This is kind of a, a way that we talk about Jesus. And the advice we give to one another. And if I were to summarize kind of all of chapter 12, because this is just one little section of 12, the whole thing really does deal with multiple reasons why we might run into anxiety. And Jesus is kind of uh, confronting that issue. And if I, were to, if I were to paraphrase what he is after, I would say that he wants to move us from worry to watchfulness. His goal is to move us from worry to watchfulness. Now, as I, as I talk about this subject, I want to be somewhat upfront because Jesus is really, really harsh on religious people in this chapter. He's really, really hard on hypocrites. And I want to be upfront with you in saying that I am uh, about, that I wrestle with anxiety deeply. I had my first panic attack when I was very young. And they have continued through my adult life, uh, regardless of what I do or who I see or what I take. It just is a part of me. And so uh, one of the things that I see when I, I, I read Jesus say something like, don't worry, I realize that uh, I don't know how to do that well. In fact, this is really terrible advice to me because when I hear that advice, my brain says, that's really great advice. Have you thought about this today? And uh, it comes from all sorts of things, and, and, and lots of people have these sorts of issues. If you're one of those kinds of people who wrestle with maybe anxiety or depression or things like this, when you read Jesus talking about don't worry, you get into those dark and twisty places, and it doesn't matter what you know, because your body and your brain don't cooperate. 
And so when I talk about this this week, and then we'll talk a little bit more about maybe the harsher side of things next week, um, in both of these things, I'm sharing with you as a fellow traveler, because I want to hear Jesus on this. I believe that Jesus is the Prince of Peace, and have met him in times when he has brought great peace, and want to understand how to live this life that he is calling us to. And I don't think it's just that, because, because there is a lot of good things, there are a lot of things that are important that ought to be worried about. Uh, maybe worry is a bad word, that ought to be watchful about. Because when I use the word watchful, I'm not talking about looking for danger or enemies. I'm talking about living in the present moment so that we can recognize what God is doing here and now. Because worry and anxiety and these things that, that often either we give ourselves to or happen to us or we are wrestling through, in each one of these situations, if we root ourselves, and in fact, if you do this kind of work, you'll know that if you have these sort of things, you root yourself in reality by tapping into what you feel and what you see, grounding yourself. And throughout this text, Jesus is trying to ground us in him. So that when those waves of trouble come, we are able to weather them better. So that we are able to see the things that are important enough to be watchful over and to be concerned with. And so I want to pay attention to Jesus so that I can pay attention to what God is doing right here and now. And not be moved out to the past or to the future because of what I'm afraid might happen. And this is why Jesus ends this whole section of teaching with parables about keeping watch. He says, it will be good for the servant when the master comes home and finds the servant faithful. That the servant has continued to, to recognize in this moment, I'm called to be faithful here, now. And it's rooting ourselves in that that allows us to begin to let go of the past and to keep a proper perspective on the future. Now this famous line, don't worry, uh, doesn't begin the whole section. In fact, the section begins, of course, at the top of the chapter. And at the top of the chapter, Jesus and his disciples are hemmed in, pressed in by thousands of people. Now remember who these people are. Remember who the disciples are. They are fishermen, tax collectors, uh, uh, political revolutionaries. They are not religious leaders. People never looked at them like religious leaders. And now they're in a position where they are close to the person that people are whispering about might be the Messiah. They have suddenly taken a step out of being a lowly fisherman into being some of the most important people in that moment, in that crowd. And they're looking now at, at the disciples and Jesus warns them. He warns them. He warns them about the temptation that we, especially those of us who are deeply religious, even if, you're not in, um, even if you're not in leadership, but you're deeply religious, something that happens to us is our great striving toward holiness can convince us that we are holier than we are. And then we become hypocrites. 
We begin looking down on people. We begin presenting a facade. We begin presenting ourselves as better than we are because we want to live up to the expectations that not only we feel like God has for us, but we have for ourselves, and then the rest of the people have for us as well. And so there's, there comes this, this moment that happens in all, I think, religious people where we find ourselves facing the mirror and we realize, oh man, I am what I rail against. And so Jesus is trying to help them to understand that what's going to happen here is that they are going to take a very different course in their spiritual life than the Pharisees and the religious people around them. And that's going to create conflict. And conflict always creates anxiety, at least for me. I don't know, some of y'all might love it, but it gets me in here, in my chest. I can feel it when I know I have a conflict coming up. And so Jesus says this. He says, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't find that terribly comforting. (laughs) If I'm supposed to walk away from this, not afraid. Jesus is maybe the worst at comforting. Because I hear this and I think, and and perhaps this is because this is how I've been taught it and how I have indeed myself taught it, but that Jesus is saying something like, don't be afraid of these people who could crucify you. Be afraid of this person who could crucify you and send you to hell for all eternity. And if that's how we comfort people, (laughs) it's not terribly comforting. Now, because I'm still afraid of crucifixion. I don't know about you, but I'm still afraid of that. And now I have this to be afraid of as well. So I want to ask some questions about this text for a second. What is Jesus really after here? And here we have to do, uh, here I get to uh, uh, feel old and say, this is why you should have a paper Bible. (laughs) because in your paper Bibles you have important things like footnotes right here, and most most digital platforms that you have on your phone will give you this. But this word hell is the word that causes me the most trepidation. I don't know about you, uh, but that's the one that, that works in my anxiety and my thoughts about God the most. This word that we have translated hell is not in fact hell. This is why it's so important. You have the footnotes, because in Greek you read that it is not hell, it is this word Gehenna. We have a different word for hell. Jesus chooses not to use the word for hell. He chooses to use the word Gehenna, which brings up the question of why. We have a perfectly good word. Why does he use this word? Well, this word is a Greek word that is also not translated. If you were to translate this directly, it would be the Valley of Hinnon. And I just turned off the slideshow. (laughs) There we go. The Valley of Hinnon. This is the Valley of Hinnon. You can see Jerusalem in the background here. The Valley of Hinnon was a region where they kept these kind of bonfires burning where you would toss uh, animals, you would toss trash, uh, you would toss the corpses of criminals on top of them. This was a place where you just burned the, the unclean stuff. If you kind of keep your mind, throw your mind back to like the Levitical thoughts, all the unclean stuff is being burned out here. So 
So Jesus is drawing them to think about these Pharisees, these authorities around them, because they are the ones who will bring judgment upon these disciples. They are the ones who will take them before Rome and have them executed. And when they're executed, perhaps not a proper burial, thrown here. So Jesus is drawing their image, their minds to this thing they have actually seen happen. And he's saying to them, You've seen this go down. You've seen people die. They've seen, in fact, as they walked to Jerusalem, every time they walked to Jerusalem, they would have seen Jewish men and women that they, that of their countrymen, right, crucified along the road. This was common practice. And he says, why would you be worried about this thing when they can do nothing more to you at all? So what I think Jesus is after is drawing them to see in their common experience what they have have seen and experienced and recognizing that most of the time the power people have over us is the power that we give them. And Jesus is encouraging them to not give these people power over them. This is about the authority of God. This is not about causing us to be anxious about God casting us into hell. And I say that because Jesus continues on. I did it again. There it is. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten by God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. You are worth more than many, you, you are of more value than many sparrows, which I think is also not terribly comforting. <laughs> sort of like sassy Jesus could have said something like, You're worth diamonds, you're worth gold, you're worth grand treasure, you're worth many sparrows. <laughs> keeping us humble, maybe, keeping us in recognition, because again, this is about authority. Who has the strength and whose trust? Are, are you, who's, who's, who are you putting your trust? Where are you putting your mind? Where are you putting your hope? And this doesn't mean that sparrows don't fall. We'll especially get to that next week as we tackle some of Jesus' warnings here. It means, though, that Jesus is reminding us that, that everything that he does will create division. You start talking about forgiving everyone, and not everyone's going to like that. You start talking about grace so big it swallows up all of our sins. You start talking about turning the other cheek, selling your possessions and giving it to the poor. You start rejecting power and position and privilege and possessions. And you start moving against the way other people live their lives. And they will notice it. And you will stand out And Jesus says, when that day comes, the religious people will come for you first. He says this. And we need that kind of help. We need that kind of encouragement. We need that kind of rejection of fear. Because what he is calling us to do is to lean into his authority with all of ourselves it says, I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. So the point of fearing God allows us 
to let go of a false perception about who is in charge of the world, of how the world works and how the world runs. Because everyone, including the religious elite at this time, think that the world runs on position, privilege, power, all of these things. And Jesus is constantly stepping back from that, distancing himself from crowds, distancing himself from authority, distancing himself from the temple and from the Pharisees themselves, finding himself with the poor. That's why they, they called him the friend of sinners. Because he didn't stay in the clean, crisp, and nice places. He went, as Paul talked about in the communion meditations, to seek the one who was lost. That was the beating heart of Jesus. And so what is he talking about here when he talks about, even as he gives us dire warnings, he is doing it so that we can understand the weight of God's grace because it's huge. It wants to swallow you up, forgive everything, and cast aside all doubt and worry. But it is so difficult to do because every time we step back into that world, all of the things that break us down come washing back in. And even as Jesus is talking to his disciples about this, somebody bellows out from the crowd, tell my brother to split the inheritance with me. Now, I don't know how many times you've seen families split apart for, for something like this, but I've seen it happen more times than I can even actually count or remember. This actually might be even a call for justice in some sense. You might remember that in the economy of, uh, of the time, the firstborn would receive the largest, perhaps even all of the inheritance, and the younger would receive very little. In Jesus' economy, Jesus is talking about sharing and giving and splitting and all this stuff. He's talking about doing this actively as people. And this guy shouts out and says, Jesus, tell my brother to do what you've said to do. And Jesus says, man... And I, I just can't help but hear some sarcasm there. He does not often, if you notice Jesus, the way that he talks, I don't know of another place where you get this kind of thing at the front of his, man, who made me arbiter between you? Jesus concludes that thought with this. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Because a lot of our fear is future-oriented. And I don't know about you, but I find a hard time believing Jesus here. I don't know how many of you have received an Amazon delivery this week that you were particularly geeked about. Had your little dopamine drop. How many of you have ever shopped to feel better? A whole, a whole room full of liars. Because you're Americans. That's what we do. That's what we do. We're constantly gathering new, gathering more. And Jesus is here contradicting our way of life. And this can do a couple of different things in you. This can cause anxiety and worry. It can cause you to think that there's a God who's waiting to smite you because you've spent a little too much this week. Or you can realize that Jesus is calling you to a new kind of seeing of the world. And that if you can begin to sort of let go of, of what our culture has handed us, consumerism, begin to separate ourselves from that a little bit, we become more and more free. How much did Jesus own when he died? Anyone? The clothes on his back. Would we call Jesus a joyful man? I probably, Ezri says yes. 
I, I, think, I think I would, you know? Jesus had so little, and he was incredibly joyful. You read stories of St. Francis, who's, of course, my, my favorite saint, and he's incredibly joyful. And they owned nothing and called for us to own nothing. And so in this sense, I don't think we're getting a new law here. This isn't creating new anxiety here. This is Jesus saying, do you see what you're anxious about? We're anxious about gathering and accumulating for whatever reason, whether it's because it fills a need in the moment and we get a little dopamine drop and we feel better or because we're trying to keep up with somebody or because we just are so caught up in just living this life, we're not even paying attention. That's what watchfulness does. That's what Jesus is encouraging us to do. He's calling us to this moment and recognize that in this moment, we could have nothing but being together and love is so much greater When you have deep and abiding relationships, when you find real and abiding joy and peace, it comes not because you have more. It usually comes because you stopped and listened and looked for what God was doing right here around you. Jesus is rooting us in this. Don't worry about racing after this thing. And don't hold on to the guilt for the things that you've done. But rather, in this moment, recognize your life is bigger than food. Your life is bigger than clothes. It's bigger than whatever the new thing is. It's bigger than the Instagram account. It's bigger than the election. It's bigger than everything that we are talking about right now. The salvation of one human being is the reason Jesus came. That should be the beating heart of everything we do because this is all about grace. And he's moving us away from that worry and anxiety and all these things we're scratching and clawing and fretting over and saying, I am Lord. No one else in this whole world gets to have as much peace as the Christian who is able to fully lean into the trust that Jesus has everything worked out. And it is literally the hardest thing for all of us to do. And that is why we need to encourage one another so much. That's why we need to be patient with one another so much. That's why Jesus keeps telling these stories over and over again, calling us to recognize the hand of God and all of his exuberant grace. He says, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Your life is more than food. Your body is more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They don't sow or reap. They don't have a storeroom or a barn and God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than birds? And by your worrying, can you add a single hour to your life? You can't do the simplest thing. Can't add a second to your life. But you're wasting them. You're wasting them by casting your thoughts all the way out there when God is acting and moving and healing right here. And so Jesus calls us to recognize the difference of perspective. For the pagan world runs after all of these things. But the Father knows what you need. God knows what you need. So if you seek his kingdom, if you're going to where he is working, if you're constantly after where is God healing and acting and moving, if you're that watchful person looking for God, What need won't he meet of yours? 
Jesus is calling us to see that different way of living and being and moving in the world. He's offering it to us as a gift, not demanding it with punishment. He's saying, you could live freer than you are right now. He says, do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased, pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure that will never fail, where no thief comes in, no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there your heart is. And you know that word heart because I harp on it a lot. means a lot more than just your feelings, but your loyalty, your will, what you're after, what matters most to you. This is a fundamental different way of living and moving in the world, especially here in America, especially in these days. And Jesus is inviting us to have that self-reflective watchfulness Asking the questions, what really matters most to me? What is deep in me? What am I valuing more than all other things? The self-reflective questions that the Pharisees failed to ask. The Pharisees who failed to, to reckon with their own darkness. They're so busy keeping out everything, they never reflected inward and said, where am I at work? And so throughout this, Jesus is calling his disciples to be watchful in the moment, watchful of their own hearts and intentions and mind, watchful of how God is moving around them. And by being watchful in this moment, they can set aside the worries of the past, the anxieties of the future, and they're able to live more deeply in the moment of God's grace. And I think that's what Jesus is calling us to do. That is personally what I, myself, am working on. And... I hope that in some way that's helpful to you as you think about these things. As we close up this morning, I would invite you to stand. I want to offer a blessing from Scripture, and then we'll have a final song. As I think about this text, I want to, uh, as what, all we've just talked about, I, uh, I was drawn to, to this, this, just this one line, which is sort of the blessing, prayer, thing that uh, Paul gave to the Thessalonians. He said, Now, May the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with you all. Pray with me. God in heaven, we gather together full of so many things. So many past shames, so many present concerns, so many future worries. Lord, I ask that today your spirit would come upon this people, come upon all of us, and that you would wipe away our false perspectives, our our misguided thoughts, that you will still our bodies and our minds, that you will still our spirits and grant us the kind of peace that allows us to be bold about your name, that allows us to be bold about your grace, that allows us to be crazy like giving things away, Lord, fill us with your peace. Grant us the grace to move from worry to watchfulness. Grant us the grace to be the presence of the kingdom wherever we land this week. 
Let your spirit be rich amongst us. We pray in the name of Jesus and through the spirit and all of God's people said.